chapter 5 once again. And it's uh, a study that's actually taken, uh, I would say it certainly had some depth is coming to us as we've, uh, you know, if you go back how we got here was we talked about the fact of Jesus teaching um, the disciples how to pray. And, and this is beautiful because a disciple asked Jesus to teach them to pray. What a perfect time. It wasn't like he drew. Now, listen, guys, you need to learn how to pray. And I'm here to tell you how to pray. You know, what the best way is when the disciple says, wow, we just heard, I just heard you pray again. It's amazing. Could you teach us how to pray that way? <laughs> well, wouldn't that be a perfect opportunity? There's a sense of that. There's, that's really how I like to learn. That's how, that's how I teach is the fact I want to make it from the level of really that you're ready to ask the question. And when a student or someone listening is ready to hear, to ask a question, they are ready to learn. And that was Jesus. Well, anyway, we went through that number of weeks of how did Jesus teach the disciples to pray? And it's amazing how daily it is. Give us this day our daily bread. Just in case you forgot, it's daily. And it's amazing. We really need to focus on that. When we're focused on daily needs, it's amazing how God becomes bigger and more fulfilling. And it's no longer about our achievements. It's about our reliance on God. It's, it, and, and I think there's a whole lot to that, quite honestly. Um, and, then we, and then it's, I don't really know how we do. We just kind of moved on. And now we're in this study where the sense of, you know what, Jesus does meet our needs. And he is amazing when you look at his walk on earth for those three years. The things that he accomplished to show his power, that's what this study is all about, is the power that Jesus exhibited. And the first one we looked at, what was the first one we actually looked at? Oh, the power over creation in the sense of we're in, he, he's in this boat and they're going across the sea, and he had taught all day long, and they literally, because of the mass of people, I do want you, I want to get you there. Let me, while I'm just thinking about it, could you throw up back up on there the Sea of Galilee? That map you had was perfect a couple of weeks ago. But you think about it, he's, he's, he's done a lot of ministry. Home base is Capernaum. That's, that's where he's really doing business. Uh, his hometown, Nazareth, they actually thought he was a clown, that he was a whack job, and they were actually going to push him off the cliff. It, he couldn't even... And, you know, where's the, mo- where's the point that you probably are respected the least if you're the son of God? In home, at home. For, and and there's, a, there's a sense, there really is a sense of that. Um, but at any rate, Capernaum was home base. That's really where he, where he walked, he talked. He, most of his miracles were done in that area. And it's amazing to think about that this throng of people, and I think it's tens of thousands that, and they've seen him heal. They've seen him do his wonders. They've seen him exhibit all of the things that he does, and he does well in exhibiting power. There's one thing. I'm going to say it now, and I think it's extremely important for us to see. You've heard of those stories where maybe a university professor. You've maybe heard of someone that says, hey, if God was real, tell him right now to do that. Show us, show me his power, and I'll believe. That's really what the Pharisees and scribes did constantly. But mark this carefully. In the Gospels particularly, God never, and in this case, I'm saying Jesus, Jesus never showed his power apart from a situation that demanded his compassion. His compassion drove his power. These two examples today, we'll see two miracles kind of wrapped, encapsulated within one. And again, his power is not talked, it's not preached, it's not, it's not on high, it's not in newspapers. You know, come and see Jesus perform mass, unbelievable miracles tomorrow night at the arena. It wasn't like that. He saw human suffering as a result of sin. That's why he came, it's to deal with sin. And in those situations, seeing people suffer, when Jesus wept, you think of those where he had intense emotions, his compassion and tenderness was really the driving force that his power was exhibited over every imaginable thing that mankind cannot handle. Today, we'll see, potentially, the resurrection power over death. And it comes, again, from compassion. But let's, let's read our passage. I'm getting, as you can tell, I'm getting way out in front again. So let's go to Mark chapter 5, and we will start reading in verse 21. 21. <clears throat> Mark 5, 21, and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. And behold, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet and besought him greatly, saying, 
My little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, come and lay thy hands on her, that she may be healed, and she shall live. And Jesus went with him, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus come into the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue had gone out of him, turned him, into, onto the, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? His disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked around about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. While he yet spake, there came from the ruler of the synagogue's house certain which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. And he suffered no man to follow him, save Peter and James and John, the brother of James. And he cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and seeth the tumult, and them that wept and wailed greatly. And when he was come in, he saith unto them, why make you this ado and weep? The damsel is not dead, but sleepeth. But they laughed him to scorn. But when he had put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel and them that were with him and entered in where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha come, which is being interpreted, damsel, I say unto thee, arise. And straightway the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of twelve years. And they were astonished with a great astonishment. And he charged them straightly that no man should know it, and commanded that something should be given her to eat. And they got out of special blessing the reading of his word. Let us just pause for prayer prior to our study. Father God, we thank you for this passage of Scripture that your servant Mark penned at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, guiding his mind, his heart, and literally putting on pages your word. Father, use it today to encourage us, to change us, to move us, to bring us to a new relationship in the sense of us getting closer to you, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Father, you are actively engaged in completing a work that you've begun. Thank you for that. And now, Father, as we look closely into this episode of Jesus again with his compassion and the power that he exhibited, particularly in the focus of his compassion, Father, may we get a sense, a grasp of the great love that you gave to us through Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as he ultimately gave that, the sacrifice of himself, the ultimate act of love. Father, take us, use us in these coming days and weeks. We pray for those that have come out this afternoon, that you'd particularly be with them and their families. Raise them up for the challenges before them. And Father, we would ask... Once again, that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher today. We're ready to learn. We're ready to receive your encouragement, your blessing. And we ask that you would be glorified in all of that. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in, in chapter 5 of Mark, we actually started in uh, chapter 4 of Mark. We, we looked at uh, his power over the storm, our creation in verse 35. And we know that Literally, they were, if you, you can see, the Sea of Galilee, and they were on the northern side of that, if you will. You can see Capernaum, and they were in that area to begin with. And this, a mass of people, you see the word that's in the, used in the king, thronging him. You can almost, there's pressure, there's, it's, it's just amazing. And on that day, even as he was teaching all day long, he just kept backing up. And finally, the only way to protect or to literally stop from, he's going into the water, so he gets in a boat. And he's preaching and teaching from the boat. Can you imagine what was going on here? And the people wanted to hear. There was something here to, I'll just uh, make a inter, an interlude to it right now. But in the King James, it has, uh, 
you might, when, the, when the messengers came from uh, Jairus' house, it's too late, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the master. In other, your other translation, you may have teacher, master or teacher. He was not known as healer. He was known as teacher or master, which I find it very interesting. They're gathered here because they want healing. But he spoke, and he spoke things that really were quite miraculous and marvelous in the sense of considering everything else that was said in that day and age, he was over the top. He was a teacher. He was, he was magnificent. But anyway, he was uh, teaching from the boat. And toward evening, they literally just say they sailed off from that point. He was in the boat. They left. Uh, I'm thinking, no supper, not much rest. But Jesus hit the pillow on the boat and was out like that. Uh, we know that a storm arose from our previous study, and it was intense. We have commercial fishermen in a boat. They've seen everything. They know everything. They're smart. They're they're sea. I mean, they're they're water-wise, all of that. They were scared out of their wits. They said, tonight, we're going to lose our life. And again, add to that sense of terror and the sense of darkness. I can't think of anything worse for me than to have a really choppy sea and be dark outside beyond that. But Jesus is sleeping. And they finally... in terror, and that's the word I want to use. They were just terrified, and they're fi- they shake him awake, and they say, well, are you just going to sleep there? Or I, do something, because you've always done something before. And if they've been walking and talking with him for all of these, these months, and, you know, it's amazing. At the end of the thing, they, Jesus did it again. I, you know, and they saw him more or less, though. This is, this, is, this is important. This transition of showing his own power, it, previous to that, they'd seen him talk to God, and somehow it sort of worked out. So they wanted him because he's got the direct communication with God. What they saw and witnessed was totally fearful from the sense of who was in the boat. He spoke to the wind, be still, or peace, and to the sea, be still. Both elements, and again, we talked about that at length. If the wind is blowing 50, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, and the wind stops, there's so much inertia in the water yet, those waves would continue to pound the boat, and, this, and both at the same time stopped. I can't imagine that, quite honestly, nor, nor could they. They were more fearful, it said, than before because God was in the boat. <laughs> they were scared of the storm out of the boat. They were more scared, literally, and astonished that God was in the boat. No one else could have done that. No one could have ever imagined doing that. Okay, so guess where they end up? They end up, I don't have my little pointer, but you see Capernaum kind of on the straight north. Bethsaida is off a little bit to the north and east. And if you were on the other side, there was this little town, Gadara. And they, it, it, this is interesting. Now, I'm not going to tell you that yet. Anyway, they, they, out of this incredibly stormy evening, they land, and guess who meets them? The welcome wagon. It's the demonic guy that's got 2,000 demons living within him, and he's about to, to launch into an unbelievable, who knows what, a tirade. We talked about that last week. Now, I'm, I'm not going to stand here very, I stay here because I want to move on, but just watch how this context is moving. And Jesus literally went across the sea to meet a man that's demonically possessed. Now, you notice, where did he go after that? Remember last week? Where did we end up? Gets back in the boat. So let's think about that. Why? Wait a minute. And why did he leave? The people from that town didn't want him. They were more scared of God that was before them, literally, than that demonic man, which they couldn't do anything with, but they were more scared of God. They said, we don't want you here. Please leave. Please Go. But there was something that happened that Jesus came to make right. He took a man that was demonically possessed. And I, again, I'm using 2,000. It could have been more than that. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a legion. That's the name that the demon that was spokesman for this, these inhabiting this man's body. And a legion is three to 5,000 if you were in Roman troop size. So it's a large number. At any rate, if you can think about this, in the morning... <coughs> What should we call this guy? Let's just call him Clyde. Okay? There's no Clydes here, right? I, I made a mistake last week. I, made a, I called him Bill. And I know it's not Bill. It's Clyde. Let's go with Clyde. Okay? So, so Clyde wakes up in the morning. And, and again, to what faculties he actually controlled, I would have to say would be very, very minimal. It was described for us. He, he was naked. He lived among the tombs. He was, he was in the place of the dead. No one could shackle him. No one could hold him. They had tried numerous occasions, and I'm sure he just basically ransacked anyone that would come to that area. 
And you can imagine, now the, remember the, the pigs, the herdsmen? They were watching this from a distance. And they're thinking, oh, those people in the boats? Oh, this is not going to be good because Clyde is nuts. And he's going to go crazy and take these people out. And they're watching this. And, and I'm sure watching with some sense of, wow, what's going to happen next? Well, related, this whole legion of demons meets the Son of God. And we talked about this previously. We'll be tying back into Mark chapter 1 in a little bit. But a demon is frightened to death with Jesus. Just confronted it. And even he doesn't have to say anything. Just the presence of Jesus. What will you have to do with us? And again, there's so much we could talk about to say what we did last. We're not going to do that. But let's move on. And literally Clyde that morning was demonically possessed by a legion. And by that evening... He was a missionary. That is the grandest (laughs) turnabout of any individual that I'm aware of, and in Scripture even. Literally, a one-day turnaround turns from a whack job, I mean nuts, to a missionary. And then Jesus gets in the boat and goes back across the sea. Literally, now, and this is where we're at. This is where we come to chapter 5, verse 21. He's at the side of Gadara, and they ask him to leave. Because the, the demons go into the 2,000 pigs, they go off into the sea, and they drown. And they, you need to go away. <laughs> we can't handle you. You are too much for us. We can't comprehend what you're powerful to do. So he gets in the boat, goes across. Now, he's got a missionary now, but that's, he literally, I'm convinced, because why did they go in the boat to go on that side of the, let's go back to our text. This, I think, is important. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. And... All the way back to verse 35. I'm sorry, chapter 4 of Mark, verse 35. Now, if you were to preface before that, you'd find him teaching to that, to that throng of people. Verse 35, it's at the end of the day. At the same day, when the even was come, he saith, Jesus saith unto them, his, his apostles, his disciples, those that are with him, let us pass over unto the other side. It was Jesus' idea to pass over on the other side. Now, here's, here's me thinking now. It doesn't say it, but this is me thinking. I'm just convinced that if you have a wild storm of hurricane-type winds, where you were headed for is probably different than where you ended up. Does that make sense? Where did they end up? Just where Jesus wanted to end up. See, there's storms in your life, quite honestly, literally taking you places that you don't really want to go. You don't like the storms in your life. Guess what? Where you get off the boat is right where God wants you because he can use you especially when, you're, when he's working through you. And here he is. Here's this demonic man. By the end of the day, he's a missionary. And he's going through the entire region of the Gentiles, telling him about what Jesus did for him. That's amazing to me. And then Jesus says, oh, our work's done here. He didn't even say that. He said, let's go back to the other side. Think about it. That was the only purpose that I can see from reading that, that detailed situation that Jesus said, wait, guys, let's go across the other side. There's a guy over here that's got a legion of demons in him. We need to get him turned around. We need to get a missionary going on the Gentiles. And then we're going to come right back here and meet the same people because that's exactly what happened. He comes back to Capernaum and guess who's there? In our text, verse 21, it says, <laughs> chapter 5, when Jesus was passed over again by ship onto the other side, much people gathered unto him and he was nigh unto the sea. Now, only one day had taken place. Only one day had taken place. In all of that time, those people are thinking, because Capernaum is home base, let's just wait till Jesus comes back. He's going to come back because this is where he does business. And sure enough, here he is. Massive amount of people pushing and pressing. I have no idea the pressure that Jesus must have been under. I don't, I don't have any idea. And so there were times that he had to literally just retreat. That's, that's the word that I use. He, he retreated literally most of the time, to a mountain somewhere. It was quiet, it was private, that he would just talk to his father. Just get quiet with God. Do you think it's important we get quiet with God once in a while? I think it's real important. There's a, there's a perfect example. Now, here's the other part I want you to start working on as we're going through this text, is Jesus gives us a beautiful pattern. And this ties in with the, the disciples' prayer. He taught them how to pray. If you take him now in this situation... now. Again, I'm not saying that we have the power to give resurrection to death or to heal. That's not what it's about. But the way he responded in this situation is very much a pattern for us to follow. There's things about how he handled these people that for us as being 
have trusted Christ as Savior and becoming. He is our Savior. He is our lifeblood. He is everything to us. He is our power, if you will. The way we respond to people in the surrounding, why we're here. We're here for such a time as this. If you've trusted Christ, you are here, not by accident. You are here right now for this time when you are committed to Christ. And there's several words we're going to use today that literally define how Jesus reacted to those around him and how we should with the people that we're dealing with, that we come in contact with. The first thing that I think is really interesting, you take Jesus Christ, they're starting to know who he is. There's no question. These people are gathered. Now, they may be gathered for different reasons. A lot of them is to make their life easier. In this case, there was two situations that healing. We'll be looking at those in much more depth. But we found that he could actually feed a lot of people with not much. It was like going to the mega McDonald's. I mean, like, just gather up, and we're going to, there's 4,000 people got fed on one occasion, 5,000 on another, and whoa, right? Let's hang around this guy, because if it gets really late, and there's no, he'll just feed you, right? <laughs> Plus the fact they are, I don't, I don't want to minimize this either. God hadn't spoken for about 400 years. The prophets had not spoken. I don't know if you know what that would feel like. I can't imagine it. To not hear from God when you're used to hearing from God if you're the nation Israel. You're the chosen people. For 400 years, he hadn't said anything through a prophet. But they know from the Old Testament that someday a Messiah would come. The anointed one, the deliverer, the one that... Remember, that was a term we looked at last week. I'm hoping... You guys remember there was a word that we used that literally Jesus came for this purpose. He came to deliver those that were in bondage to death and to sin. They're looking for the deliverer, that Messiah. But they don't know where he's at. This one's starting to look like it, though, because there's things in the Old Testament that describe what this Messiah will look like. He's going to heal those that need healed. He's going to raise those from the dead. He himself is going to rise from the dead. There's all kinds of predictions that literally, you know, you'd have to kind of take a step back and say, whoa, this guy is doing some of that. Okay? But they miss the middle portion. They miss the part that Jesus has really come. They've missed his compassion. They've missed his pity, if you will. The fact that he had to come the first time to take care of the sin issue, which really was the big thing. They saw him in the kingdom era. They wanted a king, and they wanted him right now. And that's why most of the time, you know, at the end of this passage, many times he said, don't tell people what happened here. Because it would be almost rushing him to kingdom, if you will. That wasn't why he came the first time. But you can't miss the power of this Jesus. Here they are, thousands of them gathered. Now, if you're a really um, important, um, popular, and I say popular from the standpoint of the people, the, the religious leaders have taken the position, they hated this man. They were ready to kill him at any opportunity. Sadducees, Pharisees, all the scribes, that, that religious hierarchy that is the teachers and those that control the whole religious system. And yet the people loved him for what he did, probably more than who he said he was. But it doesn't matter. Popular, wildly popular. You can see it. I mean, you can, you can just feel, you can almost feel the crowd moving, right? And, and you don't get to figure out, you move with it. You know what happened today with someone of that, I would say, prestige or that popularity? That person would not be that available. Jesus went right down into the crowd. He is available. Mark that. He didn't, he, he, he's not standing back. He's not, hey, disciples, would you guys screen a little bit of stuff? Kind of see who's out there. See if we couldn't maybe make some room for me. No, I don't, I don't get that at all. He's totally 100% available. Just think of that. And he's made himself that way. You know, it's like when they left the side of the Sea of Galilee over there where the demon-possessed demon man was, he knows exactly where he's going. He said, hey, guys, let's get back in the boat. Let's go back to Capernaum. And he knows what's going to be waiting for him there. He's available. Are we that available? Oftentimes it's, I like to retreat sometimes. I like to just get away. From, and by the way, there are times, particularly when you need spiritual renewing and filling, if you will, that you need to get to be with your father. But it's amazing how available Jesus Christ was for those three years in his ministry. It is totally blows my mind because I have no idea of how, how much pressure would have been on him just from those requirements, let alone all of the other stuff going on. He was very available. Well, who is he available to? Well, 
We've, in this case, we've got two people. Let's talk about them for a moment. Just, just talk about them, and, and you're going to help me. So we've got a woman, and we've got a man, correct? Uh, what do you know about the woman? She, had a, she, she was hemorrhaging. She had a blood hemorrhage, which tells us for 12 years. The man had a daughter who's 12 years old. The man was a ruler or a leader within the synagogue. And that's a place of great prestige. Now, this does not make him a Pharisee, a Sadducee, or a scribe. Doesn't make any, Sadducee is more political anyway, but the Pharisees and scribes doesn't make him that. But he does be very tied into that religious system. He's been very, very connected. But he's more in the sense of, the, and depending on the size of the synagogue, there was either probably three or as many as seven of these caretakers, that their job was to make sure that things were taken care of, and that was getting people in the right places, and also taking just maintenance of, of the, the synagogue. That was his job. And it would be given to a very highly respected, very religious person. I mean, it's, it's kind of like top dog in town. I mean, this guy by the name of Jairus, there was a lot of people that would know him. The woman, she was a nobody. Now, the thing, one thing that's, I think it's interesting, I'll just jot this down, we'll not go there, but in Leviticus chapter 15 and verse 19, it tells us about a woman that would be having this type of a blood hemorrhaging situation, which in all honesty probably could have been obstetric uh, fistula, which is actually very prominent in third world countries today, in Africa particularly, there's four million women that are actually struggling with that today. It's a simple surgery, but obviously in Israel they wouldn't have had that opportunity either. But I don't know that if that's exactly it, but it would be very much that way. But she had a bleeding discharge. You read Leviticus chapter 15, verse 19. She was unclean, which means a number of things. No if, she if she touched her husband, he was unclean. If she touched her children, they were unclean. If she touched a friend, they were unclean. She could not mark this for 12 years. She never went to the temple. She never went to the synagogue because she was unclean. Now, the, the ruler of the synagogue... He nearly lived there, right? So we've got unknown. We have a very popular individual, very religious. She would have been actually a cast-off. She would have been alienated from any, almost the entire population. For 12 years, Jairus' daughter is 12 years old. She's about to become a woman. In, Isra in Israel's context, of, I mean, she's, she's of marriageable age, which seems, no, couldn't possibly be. Well, it's a different culture. Just stop. But, but do you see what I'm saying? He was about to lose someone that he had basically nurtured to get to the point of womanhood. And she's about to die. Here's a woman that had spent all of her resources. And I'm sure Jairus was very wealthy. I have no reason to think he wouldn't have been given that position. Now, what do you know about the woman's? She was poverty-stricken, wasn't she? She had spent all of her wealth chasing after, I, I don't know that you could call them doctors, but someone that would have at least portrayed some kind of a remedy. Luke says in the chapter 8, of uh, Luke chapter, which is the, the parallel passage, he said her disease was incurable. That was a physician, physician standpoint. I read some of the things that they would have probably said for her to do with that. It is so weird. It is so weird. You, you hear the ashes of an ostrich egg in a silk bag in the wintertime, and then you take the ashes of an ostrich egg in a cotton bag in the summertime. What? What is that going to do? Well, absolutely nothing. So here's this woman that is literally trying to become clean, trying to end this dilemma that is literally ending her. I can't even believe the social challenges that she would have been under. It's kind of ironic that Scriptures say that she suffered many things from the physicians. Exactly. <laughs> many things. Yeah, many things. That's exactly right. And she was getting no better. They took her money, and she didn't get better. Now, there's a lot of people today that could very much be on board with that, right? I mean, they, they can't get fixed. I mean, they're just, you, you go, and you can't get it, get it figured out. Jesus is perfect, isn't it? Now, she's in, the, she's in this crowd, and she's moving, but do you, do you see these two people that Jesus is going to work with almost exclusively, those two people today? Now, again, we don't know how many people he healed. You know, there was, now, here, here's something else that you maybe haven't thought of or we should make sure that we understand. Jesus peeled, healed people that had no faith. Jesus healed people that had faith. But Jesus cannot save, save anyone without faith. But how many people did he heal that actually showed no faith? We don't know, but I'm, I'm thinking numerous, numerous people. 
But you can't be saved without faith. Here's these two people now out of this throng that literally come to his attention. He's available. He's available. He's very available, in fact. I want us to see, let's go here for a moment. Uh, You're in Mark. Just turn over to John chapter 20, verse 31, for just a second. This is really the epitome of the Gospels. This is what they're trying to, literally, they're trying to accomplish in in the sense of Jesus Christ. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written. We're writing these things, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christos, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That's what all of this is about. And his power is taking care of that. He's showing us his power. He's approachable. Now, I'd like to go back to Luke for a second, and I want you to see from the physician's standpoint this situation that comes out of nowhere and how he described it. Uh, Luke chapter 8, and we will start in verse 50. There's where I want to go anyway. I'll, I'll say that. Am I right? Uh, no, that's not right. Let's go to verse 40. This is the same. This is, this is a different writer. Speaking about the same situation, Luke chapter 8, verse 40. It came to pass that when Jesus was returned, it's amazing. See, he went over to, to deal with the demon, the demon-possessed man. Now he's returned. The people gladly received him, for they were all waiting for him. And behold, he came. Did you see that behold? What does behold mean in the scriptures? Remember when Jesus was, like when the angels came to the shepherds? And suddenly, or behold, it's like, this is crazy what's happening here. Behold! Mark this as an exclamation point. This is out of ordinary. This is something that you shouldn't even think about. Now I lost my place. I'll get there in just a second. What chapter are we in? Help me. Eight. Eight. Ah, there we go. Verse 40. One. And behold, this is like, whoa, this is so strange. It's so weird. There came a man named Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house, for he had only... One only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. The weird part is, is that you would have someone from the religious establishment come to Jesus, and as he's walking amongst these people, he's probably heading towards Capernaum anyway, and this guy just runs in front and falls down, and Matthew's account says actually worshipped him. The ruler of the synagogue. These are the people that don't like Jesus. What is this about? Well, I'll tell you what. When you get to the end of your rope, this man was at the end of his rope. His daughter couldn't be cured probably for all the money he had as well. Isn't it amazing? Now, the woman has spent all of her money. She can not get anywhere. Jairus, he cannot buy his daughter's health. They're in the same boat. Very different in the sense of social status. Very similar in the sense of we can't fix this. And Jesus is approachable. He's available. And here comes this ruler, the synagogue ruler. And he basically humbly bows before this one, this Jesus. Now, one thing I'd like to point out, what would make this man come to Jesus in Capernaum? What, what, what is it? He's not, he's not at Capernaum. He's actually out of the lake, at the sea. What would make him do that? Well, I'm convinced that if we go back to Mark chapter 1, I can't imagine that this man wasn't here. Let's go back to Mark chapter 1 for a moment, and let's watch where he probably got his, one of his first witnesses of this man called Jesus. We'll start in verse 21. <clears throat> verse 21 of Mark chapter 1, And they went into Capernaum, and straightway, or right away on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue. This is a ruler of a synagogue in Capernaum. All right. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He's kind of in Jairus' home country, so to speak, and taught. They were astonished at his doctrine. So first of all, he hears him teach, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. This was someone in church that had a demon. And he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, 
Thou Jesus of Nazareth, art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace and come out of him. When the unclean spirit had torn him and cried with a loud voice, he came out of him. They were all amazed, insomuch that they questioned among themselves, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with and for with authority commandeth he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the region round about Galilee. I'm convinced that Mr. Jairus was in that population that day. He watched Jesus do something that he'd never seen before. He had heard things said to him from Jesus' lips that were, I've never heard things that made so much sense before. That's why that man came to Jesus on that day. He gave everything. Now, how much faith did Jairus have? Well, let's go back to Mark for a moment, and let's watch. Now, again, his faith would be struggling. I, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there's no such thing. There's different levels of faith within everyone. But uh, verse 23 of Mark chapter 5, he besought him greatly. That's like there's an, an enormous amount of emotion involved here, saying, My little daughter lieth at the point of death. Okay, you got it in your mind? I pray thee, I'm asking you to come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. That's quite a bit of faith. That's quite a bit of faith. He says, Jesus, here's what we got to do. This is all we got to do right now. And he's falling down before him. Now, again, I don't know how this all took place with this many people hanging around. But we know Jesus was available. He was approachable. And now in the presence of all of these people, this man, Jairus. Now, talk about put your, I'm going to just say your prestige on the line to bow down before jesus who the jews hated as being a ruler of the synagogue is you could care less what people think right now i just need jesus that's what i, I need jesus right now. isn't that that's really where we have to come to him don't we we have to put all of the others it's me and it's him that's what has to happen and he did that and he said jesus here's what i i know if you come to my house i know if you come to my house and you lay your hands on her she will be healed and will live now, here's the other thing that I think is really cool. Jesus could have said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I could get to you. It looks like, ooh, we're out there a ways. Probably three more weeks. But I could get there. About, so let's just write you down for that. What do you say? Does that sound familiar? You know what? Jesus says, let's go. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that fantastic? Let's go. He's approachable. He's available. And he goes. They start off towards Capernaum. They, they start to go. Now, who's, who's the most excited person in the crowd right now? Jairus is. Here we go. The master's coming with me. Here we go. We're going all night. we got a chance at this, right? Now, again, I, I can't help, but get, I'm trying to get you back to that. But see, Jesus took a whole, I'm going to say about, well, I don't know, but a day. Let's just say a day of which all of these people were gathered up, Right? And that night, he just takes off across the sea, and they, oh, well, he'll come back because this is where he does business, but a whole day went by. Do you think Jairus was in that crowd then? I do think he was. He'd come for a purpose. He'd come to find Jesus. And then Jesus is gone for a day, and then he comes back, and, oh, Ma's my chance. I just think it would have sped him up. It would have made the sense of urgency beyond measure. But here's what I want to get you with that. Do you remember what... uh, Oh, remember what Martha said when Jesus, remember when Lazarus? If you'd, if you'd been here. If you don't, and you know what Jesus did? He kind of lingered, right? And he said, well, we need to go to, we go, need to go to Bethany because Lazarus, I think he said sleeping, but what, you know, anyway. And they said, well, if he's sleeping, he's okay, Jesus, because they want to kill you. We shouldn't go there. It's too close to Jerusalem. We're going to die. And he says, no, God's will will be done. But it was like he just waited. Now, from Jairus' standpoint, oh, my goodness, I wonder if he's coming back. Oh, I need, boy, we got to get moving. You know, I mean, what the world? There he comes. Fantastic. There he is. Let's go. And he, I'm telling you, there, am I a little over the top right now? That's probably what it was because his daughter was about to die. His 12-year-old daughter's only daughter. And then something happened that is absolutely unbelievable because not only is Jesus approachable and available, he's also interruptible. Because at just the moment that we're moving, and the crowd is moving with them, we're going to Capernaum, and we're going to end up in Jairus' house, here's this woman out of nowhere that comes up behind, and she's 
trying to be quiet, trying to have no sense of, what should we say? No one knows what's going on. She's very quiet. And she reaches to Jesus's garment, to the hem of his garment. Poof, she's healed. And she knows it. Jesus, now this is something that you may have marked, maybe never have marked. This power that is exhibited in all of these things that we've been talking about the last several weeks, that power is personal. He knew, it says this, he knew the power had left him. I love that. I don't even know how to describe it for you, but all the power that you have within you because of Jesus living within you, all of the power that is working in your life, all of the powers working in it is actually, it's not an inanimate force. You know, I, I listen to that. I, well, there's a force. There's a big something that has a lot of something that has a lot of power in it. No, it's all God. And he is intimate, he is personal, and he is real. Isn't that something? Jesus, now she came behind him because that, she didn't want to bother him because obviously they're going to Jairus' house. Who could I compare with? To, man, he's on a mission. But if I could just touch him, if I could just touch that garment, I know I'd be healed. And she's, can you, can you, again, can you feel the sense of urgency? And she just finally gets it, click, and she's healed. She knows it inside. And Jesus stops. And all of these people, right? it must have, you know, the, the, the disciples were, there's a little bit of sarcasm going on here, right? Jesus says, who touched me? Who touched me? The disciples says, who touched you? Hundreds of people. <laughs> I mean, they're just pushing on. What you, Jesus, what are you saying? And, you know, his eyes were no doubt pure. Now, he knew who she was. But when he asked who it was, it put her on the limelight. Because at that point, and then she finally came forward and literally fell down before him and told him everything. Don't you love how he responded? There's only one time that I know in Scripture that Jesus responded this way to a woman. He called her daughter. Isn't that fantastic? He not only saved her from a hemorrhage, I'm convinced that he saved her. She became one of his daughters that day. That power not only took care of a disease, that power saved her. And what do you think Jairus is doing? Like, See, I want to play back and forth. Oh, boy, we got to get moving. Come on, Jesus. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on. Come on. Come on. Right? Because my daughter's going to. And, and you know what he said? Let's watch it. Let's watch it. Let's go back to Mark chapter 5. We'll start in verse 30 again. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press. He's turning around all these people and said, who touched my clothes? His disciples said, Thou seest the multitude thronging, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. Now, again, I want to make sure that you understand the sense of where she was socially. She was an outcast. For her now to share her story would tell everyone else there she shouldn't have been there. Do you see the risk she was taking? But watch. He said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Now that term in the Greek literally means not just physically healing, but literally spiritually healed. Go in peace. You can't go in peace unless you've been saved. And be whole of that plague. Now watch verse 35. Watch this. While he yet spake, while he was saying these things, and there came from the ruler of the synagogues, how certain, those messengers, which said, Thy daughter is dead. Why troublest thou the master any further? You can just feel Jairus' heart probably. Oh. If Jesus, it doesn't say this, but I'm just thinking, oh, man, if Jesus would have just wouldn't have went there and would have been here. and Oh, you know what? Jesus, again, even though he's interrupted, he's still available, he's still approachable, and he's still tender. That's the word we'll find later. But look what he says to this man. He says, be not afraid, only Believe. How many times has that been entered into your spirit when you are in like panic mode? I mean, this is maybe it's not the death of a 12 year old daughter, but it's something that's huge. It's out there. And 
oh, if God would have only dealt with this, helped me just a little bit later. Because I've been praying about it for a long time. Have you ever said, have you ever asked why God is late? Go ahead, be honest now. It seems like he is. Here would be a situation, wouldn't it? Oh, do you know what? Don't be afraid. Just keep believing. I'm bigger than anything that's out there. I'm bigger than death. Now, I'm sure Jairus had never seen a resurrection. This was brand new material. Jesus hadn't been risen from the dead yet. This is big stuff. Excuse me? No, that's correct. That's correct. This would be new information. This takes real real serious faith now, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus said. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Just believe. And then what does he do? This, this must have blown Jairus' mind because of saying, oh, oh, well, she's dead, I guess. Well, nice meeting you, Jesus. Have a good day. There's nothing to do here, right? Our, your work is... No. They just kept going. They kept going to his house. I wonder what Jairus is thinking. Well, well now what are we going to do? I mean, you're going to be there for lunch or you're going to be part of the professional whalers? Or what are we doing? I, she's dead. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Then it says in verse 30, He suffered, allowed no other men to follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. His, the, in, the, the triumphant. You saw those, those three that were always close to him. This is the first time he actually sorted those guys off. One of the things that I'm convinced of the fact is to make something true, you needed two or three witnesses in, in, in anything. He's going to go into the house and he's going to be dealing with this young girl and yes, the father would be there and the mother, but you know, literally, the, he needed, just for the sake of truth being there, that other witnesses. I'm convinced that's why he took them in. But he didn't want a big crowd. He didn't want a big group. So they keep going. He cometh to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and seeth the tumult. I mean, this is craziness. And them that wept and wailed greatly. Now, one of the things that is very, very different from a funeral or a, uh, a ceremony in our culture is that it's usually quiet. Um, people are dressed with uh, a dress that's very, you know, it's very nice. And it's just, there's just a, there's a situation, but it's just quiet. It's somber. It's reflective. If you go to, if you go to even a Middle, a Middle East funeral today, it is very loud. There's shrieking and there's wailing and there's noise and it's crazy. In fact, they would, especially this guy, he would have been wealthy. He would have hired professional whalers, not the fish, the whale like loud. And they would come in and they'd really lead the choruses of this magnanimous noise that's just overpowering. And then you would hire flute players. And I'm thinking, why flutes? What was the most popular instrument? And then they would play like these, I'm going to say disharmonious notes that would just Right, right. It just doesn't go over well. But that's what it's about. There's a bitterness. There's a sense of loss. There's all of that going on. This is a very big deal. And then you actually you took clothes that you could rip and tear, because that's what you did at a funeral. There is you tore your clothes. In act, they actually had 39 ways to dismember your clothes, because it was seen as such a big deal. Remember, even Job. Remember, in his in his grief, in his sorrow, that he put ashes on his tore his clothes. That, that's part of that whole system, okay? But now think of that. This is all going on. Jesus has just interrupted what would be called a funeral. And he says, what are you doing? She's only asleep. And they laughed him to scorn. There's a word if... Um, it's not a word that I use. I don't know if I've ever used it. Imperturbable. Have you ever heard somebody say, I got really perturbed over that? Now, you've probably used it that way, okay? I mean, you got upset. That really ticked me off. This would be the absolute opposite of that, and that's who Jesus was at all times, unless he was dealing with non-truth from religious people. Then he became perturbed. But in this situation, would this not be a place of being elevated, sense of chaos, He's just calm and tranquil. And then when they laughed him to scorn, he finally said, you need to leave right now. And he, basically, he, he ushers them all out of the building, out of the house. And then they go into this room. How are you doing if you're Jairus right now? 
What in the world is Jesus doing? Can I really believe? Can I? You know, that's what he told me last. That was the last thing he told me was just believe. Let's keep going. Let's go to your text. When he was coming, he saith, verse 39 of chapter 5, Why make you this ado and weep? The damsel's not bed, the sleep, but they laughed him to scorn. But when he put them all out, he taketh the father and the mother of the damsel, and them that were with him, that would be Peter, James, and John, and entered into where the damsel was lying. And he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talitha come. Now that's in Aramaic. And that's how they spoke. That's, that, that's actually Aramaic, the language that they would have spoken every day. And Mark records it that way. And it really would mean, little lamb, just come. And straightway, verse 42, the damsel arose and walked, for she was of the age of 12 years, and they were astonished with great astonishment. Jesus did something which would have been very unclean for him to do, too. He touched someone that was dead. That's, That's another no-no. Yeah, especially when you say Jesus of Nazareth. Remember the Nazarene? Yeah. You weren't allowed to touch a no. dead person. And instantly, she's alive. Do you see the tenderness, though, how he dealt with his family? There's tenderness there. Let's, let's review for a moment. So he's approachable. He's available. He's interruptible. And I, you'll not use that imperturbable word. I don't even expect you to. But he was tranquil. He was calm at a time when they needed it most. He didn't get loud. didn't get out of control. He was just calm. And then the one that I think just marks it overall, no matter what, he's tender. Did you see the tenderness? And then when she's walking around, I said, say, could, could you get her something to eat? Oh, my goodness. It's just how he is with us. He's tender. He's loving. He's approachable. How many times have you interrupted him? And you know what? Jesus was not offended by that in one way, shape, or form. There's other people that would have been. Maybe Jairus was. He doesn't say that he was. But at the end of the day, it even made his faith grow more. Because what if Jesus would have arrived on time, I quote quotes, on time, and she was just sick? They would have never seen how powerful Jesus was in the sense of resurrection power. Amazing. Amazing. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 19, as we wrap up. John chapter 4 and verse 19. Just a, this, these few words here are just... Uh, did I do that right? 419, that doesn't look right. Okay, I didn't do that. I'm not in the right place. Hmm. Okay, that one's going to get away from me. Sorry. Let's go back to Hebrews then. We'll do that. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. We actually used them last week. But we see the sense of what happened in this little girl's life. Uh, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That is exactly what Jesus accomplished. That is exactly what he got done. And those people on that day saw Jesus ultimately display power and tenderness. His sensitivity was over the top. And then the part they didn't even know about yet. I'm so glad I'm on this side of his ultimate act of love. They didn't know about the cross yet. They didn't know that Jesus was so tender towards sin and so tender towards those that were sinners that he sacrificed himself to save them from sin. But they believed what they knew. That's the difference. Just like Abram. It said he believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. That woman with a hemorrhage, I believe on that day she was saved. She was healed physically, and she was healed spiritually because she believed everything that she knew about Jesus. Abram didn't know Jesus' name, but he believed God. Do we believe God? Do we trust him? 
Do we approach those that are looking for something? I keep, you know, the time in which we find ourselves living today, it's pretty crazy, isn't it? There's a whole lot of people that can't figure out what's gone on and what's going wrong, but they know they're missing something. They're missing something. So let's review. Just as Jesus was with these two miracles wrapped in one another, the first thing that made it so good was the fact that he was approachable. You could, you could come right up to Jesus. Try that today. Uh, you don't get to just walk up to the president. You don't get to just walk up to a lot of people, right? They're protected. They're screened. They're security. Jesus, the one that divided time from before him and after him, the only one that's ever done that, he's approachable. But beyond that, that gyrus that just fell down in front of him, he became available to that man that day. Didn't put him off, just said, oh, well, let's go. And then as they're going, guess what? Something else comes up. Have you ever had that happen when you're on a mission? You are going to get that done now. And here comes the phone call. Here comes that somebody cuts you, whatever it might be. You know what? A lot of times God is saying, stop. I need you to take that call. I need you to call that person back. Have you had those, just have that thing just come right in your mind? You need to call that person. I had it several times this week. I'm getting better about responding in the right way. Used to be years ago when I was a lot younger, I would say, not now. I've got to get that done. Jesus was very interruptible. And again, I'm still convinced that it made Jairus' faith at the end of that day much stronger than if that hadn't even happened. So, Approachable, available, interruptible. (laughs) It'll be the last time you'll ever use it, but we'll just say tranquil, shall we say that. But if you use it up, that's great. It's a new word. It it sort of is, right? Imperturbable? Yeah, I I don't use it. It's not in my repertoire, I can tell you that. But the concept, calmness, to be tranquil. And you know why he was that? Was the fact that he was, in other words, indomitable. He's unconquerable. There is nothing that anyone could ever bring to Jesus, nothing of which he wasn't more powerful. He's unconquerable. It reminded me of Romans chapter 8, that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Absolutely. And, he, and you know why that's true? Because he is unconquerable. <clears throat> And overarching all of that on that day, as busy as he was, as over the top, all of the demands, all of those things that were required of him, he was still super tender with those people, every single one of them. He's tender with us today. He'll be tender with you tomorrow. He loves you. That woman, even, again, you got a social outcast and you had a religious system person that literally Jesus, from, from a perspective of us on those two, you probably wouldn't get acquainted with either one. And Jesus went out of his way on that day to literally create marvelous miracles in their lives. And he does it today as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you again showing us Jesus' amazing power. We've looked at power over creation. We've looked at power over the spiritual realm, that is Satan and demons. Today, Father, you showed us the tenderness of Jesus. You showed us that his power wasn't just on display to show power. And, Father, there was multiple ways that he could have impressed those people with how magnanimous the power that he, the Son of God, had. That's not how Jesus worked. In his three years, even Satan tried to make him, in his temptations, tried to make Jesus show himself, show himself off. Father, it was his compassion that drove him to utilize power. And it was always power over sin, ultimately. The challenges that come from suffering that sin brings. Our Savior is so tender, so kind-hearted. And ultimately, Father, thank you for the price that he paid. To give himself on a cross. To die for our sins. And all we need to do is to react in faith. Yes, Lord Jesus, I believe that you accomplished all that was necessary to save me from my sin. I couldn't do anything. Just as these two couldn't do anything with respectively either his daughter or her disease. 
But at the end of the day, Jesus cured it all. It's so good to know, Father, that that price that was paid to those that trust Christ have everlasting life. When we pass away in this physical body, as the scripture says, to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Instantaneously, Father, to make that available because of the tenderness and the compassion and the power that Jesus exhibited is because that is real. Thank you, Father, for all that you're doing. May you be glorified and may we be blessed. Not because of who we are, but whose we are. Father, I pray that you be with each one of these today, that the lives they live, the challenges they have, the struggles, the trials, whatever they might be, Father, you're there right beside them. Your power is personal. Your power is tender. Your power is compassionate. Father, we give you all that we are, trusting you with tomorrow because we live today in you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.